0: Welcome to the USCCB First Freedom Podcast. <laughs> I'm, I'm, I'm Aaron Matthew Weldon.
1: Oh, and I'm Mary McCluskey. So
0: last month, the US bishops released a much anticipated pastoral letter against racism called Open Wide Our Hearts The Enduring Call to Love. The letter is a call to conversion, not only a conversion of individual hearts, but also a a conversion of the heart of our nation as a whole, it also serves as something of a vision statement for the USCCB's Ad Hoc Committee Against Racism. Today we're gonna talk about what our new Ad Hoc Committee is working on and how all of us can respond to this call to live as missionary disciples by opening our own hearts to conversion. Joining us, we have Danielle Brown. Danielle is the Associate Director in the USCCB Department of Justice, Peace, and Human Development. Danielle serves as lead staff to the Ad Hoc Committee Against Racism. Thank you so much for joining us.
2: Thank you so much for having me. Uh, I'm really happy to be here and um, happy to uh, be on the team of JPHD as the Associate Director of the Ad Hoc Committee. And a fellow
1: resident of the second floor in this building. I'm in the pro-life office on the second floor as well, so it's always nice to see you walking down the hallway. Likewise.
0: The second floor houses the pro-life office and justice, peace, and human development. So, yes, Mary and Danielle are neighbors.
1: Precise locations to be withheld <laughs> yeah, yeah. for security purposes. <laughs> yes.
0: So I'm, I'm excited about this conversation, though, because the Ad Hoc Committee Against Racism is, is a, I mean, you're the newest Ad Hoc Committee here at the conference. This pastoral was just released and so I think what the work that you're doing is really new to all of us, even even many of us who, who work here at the conference. So I'm excited to hear what you what y'all are doing. First of all, why don't we talk a little bit about the impetus for both the pastoral and the ad hoc committee? I mean racism, a longstanding problem in our country so why this document and ad hoc committee now
2: sure so i think what what some folks may not know is that um both the committee and uh specifically the document were underway long before the document was produced so the committee itself uh was formed last november so we're officially a year old at this point november of
1: 2017 that's
2: right that's right and so what the bishops were seeing were just a string of racially motivated events all across the country, particularly punctuated by the shootings of unarmed black men and the racial unrest that those occurrences sparked, really brought to the fore just the idea that there was something really racially motivated happening in the nation. And then Uh, the March on Charlottesville happened at the university there and a woman uh, was killed and because so many violent clashes were happening along those lines the bishops decided that they needed a particular committee so again the committee was already together as of a year ago already in the works but the actual racism document has been in the works for about two years and, and came about through similar circumstances, just observing the events going on in the country.
0: Yeah, I got the sense that, I had the sense that the that Charlottesville was really when it was sort of like something has to happen right. or if things were being sort of put off, they right. c- it can't be put off That's any right. longer, was right. was kind of my general sense. Can you say a little bit about how you got involved in the project or, and how you got involved in this work? Yeah, I mean, where are you coming from? Sure. What What kind of work were you doing before you came to the Bishop's sure. Conference?
2: Yeah, all good questions. So I'm originally from Metro Detroit. Um, I am tra- <laughs> go Metro Detroit. I'm uh, trained as a lawyer, and so I was doing that work uh, before I came here. I was an appellate administrative law judge in unemployment and workers' compensation, and I've always been a really justice-driven person. My background um, includes an interior design degree from Michigan State University, but. You know, while I was sort of phoning in my classes as an interior design major, I was doing an incredible amount of campus-based um, racial diversity work. I was doing a lot of residence life work. I was a racial and ethnic aide my senior year on campus and a, um, an RA every other year, really focused on uh, bringing uh, students of diverse backgrounds together. And really, I could say that it, that's really just been in sort of my bones, that this idea of bringing groups together since as long as I can remember. Mr. Um, Detroit is one of the most uh, racially segregated areas of the country. I think the 1990 census, and I haven't uh, looked it up since, but the 1990 census at least um, listed the top 10 most racially segregated cities in America, and Michigan had either three or four of them with uh, Detroit being at the top of the list um, in the top five, if I'm not mistaken. And I really saw that as I was growing up, particularly in my high school, I went to an all girls Catholic school and I remember walking into the lunchroom as a freshman and seeing all of my friends from elementary school divided up according to race. There was literally a Chaldean section, a black section, and a white section and i didn't want to pick and so i would jump from table to table to mm-hmm. table and my friends got angry at me and eventually they said you need to pick and mm-hmm. i said forget it huh. and so i spent the rest of the year pretty much in the library doing my lunch and my homework
1: oh. because i was so angry oh no you know
2: and uh. so and so that's kind of um it, it like i said it's always been in my bones and so when this opportunity came along you know i, I had been involved uh, deeply involved in my Catholic Young Adult Discipleship Ministry uh, in the Lansing area for a number of years and it really just combined both my love of ministry and my love of bringing diverse groups together and my love of justice into one place and I get to do a little uh, legislative at least observation in this job there's policy work and so there's a lot of my loves kind of woven together and and I think it was just a work of the Holy Spirit that opened the door for me to come here and i'm I'm grateful for that
0: I'm curious I mean when when you say that about it, it this kind of desire for justice and sure. and reaching out across these different divisions being part of your bones I mean is it was it something you talked about, uh, your parents talked about, or did you have a teacher? Or yeah, was it just something you always kind of, like, you don't remember ever not thinking sure. a different way? Sure. or Yeah, I mean, I'm just curious, yeah, like, was really it something you question. were raised with in right. some
2: way? Well, okay, so um my schools weren't always super segregated, you know, and i so again, a really interesting educational background because um, my kindergarten and first grade experiences were at a school that was actually run by uh, a group of, of Jewish teachers. And, and uh, the curriculum was heavily influenced by, by Jewish teachings and I lived in Southfield, which is again, a, a very Jewish city growing up. And my next door neighbors were Heavily active in the Jewish community, and um, there was a synagogue on the corner, and we were always going over for for seder meals and all sorts of things. And so I, I grew up, you know, just really experiencing heavily what other cultures had to offer, uh, particularly understanding how the Judeo part of our of our faith really influences the Christian part of our faith. And I, I'm forever grateful for that. And my mom did a really good job of saying yes, you know all of these principles and 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 singing the dreidel song growing up is is completely compatible with with being a Catholic because here's how Catholicism then took the Jewish principles and sort of expounded upon them Mm -hmm. Um, and and so you know she she raised us having a really good sense of self and for the listeners out there who don't know I'm African-American so um, that's probably gonna gonna help shape this thought process for those of you who can't see me um but she, she my mom brought me up with a with a really strong sense of self mm-hmm. and you know i i remember growing up watching um, the roots series even in elementary school which of course is the history of alex haley's family and he's able to trace his family back to to africa um and was able to tr- trace his progression, you know, through slavery and and into modern times, and so I, I grew up understanding that this was my history. But but the the cultures of of other folks who were literally right next door to me are integral to my experience, both as a Catholic and as a person. You know, they they. Uh, people of other ethnic backgrounds were constantly pouring into me. Mm -hmm. And so um, I I had this deep appreciation for what our cultures together could do on a a day-to-day life experience. It was never lost upon Mm me. Um, And so I I think that those early experiences growing up with Jewish brothers and sisters was hugely influential.
1: Danielle, do you remember at all growing up, like, you've been a practicing Catholic pretty much... Not pretty much. No? My whole life. Okay, (laughs) whole life. There you go. Awesome. So, I mean, do you ever, do you remember growing up in Detroit and hearing homilies about her? Do you remember the church addressing racism at all? That's a good question. That's a
2: really good question. Hey, thank you. That's why they pay me the big bucks here. (laughs) Um, You know, I I gotta say no. Mm. I really don't remember hearing that in church. I think I remember experiencing it a little bit. I you know it, the, so my experience of racism um I, I, I experienced it firsthand, kind of, uh, you know, and sorry to say, traveling through the South um, on, on family vacations, and it was horrible. Um, but I'm grateful for it because, again, it really formed me. But when it comes to experiencing, you know, people teaching about it and, and sort of uh, bringing it to the pulpit and, and, and hearing about it in church, I can't say that I had, that I, that I did. Um, So, uh, no, I don't know. I I I I just think
1: it's so interesting. Like, just, you know, I grew up in different parts of the country. I was born in Michigan, lived in Vermont, lived in Kentucky. And I can remember just being shocked uh, freshman year of high school at the racism that I just, the the comments about people of color Mm -hmm. from my classmates. Mm -hmm. Like, I had never been exposed to that before. Mm -hmm. So I think we're such a huge country, and different parts of the country are so different. Like you're saying, you didn't really like you experienced the racism for the first time in the south right. but living in detroit yeah. you know not so much so i'm sure there were people you know plenty of racism in detroit but it's just people's experiences based on where they live in this country right. really so i think I, my point is that there are so many people i think that tend to think that maybe well the 60s and 70s are over racism not so much a problem anymore but as we've seen and as you're talking about recent events like oh no, it's still very much a problem. And so that's fitting totally why The bishops are addressing this right now right
2: right and it's it's been 40 years since they've addressed it in any overt way the last document was brothers and sisters to us and i i think one thing that is striking to folks who have the time to look at brothers and sisters to us which you can find on uh, the usccb website is that there's not a lot of difference between the things that the bishops had to talk about in 1979 versus what they have to talk about today and then if you go back further to even the earlier documents in the 19 uh late 40s i think 1942 there was a document on racism specifically um i think you know going alongside with with uh, the nazi um movement it it is again shocking how similar the issues that people of color are facing are and so you, you kind of see this sad progression through the documents of the bishops calling out these issues that haven't changed haven't changed a whole lot and if they have changed they've changed for um you know a portion of of groups of people of color, but not others. And so, again, the experiences are, are varied. Yeah. Mm.
0: One thing where I, I do kind of wonder if um, this resurgence, though, that we've seen, sure. like, where it, I don't know that I would say it's different, but, but it goes to your, your, what you pointed out earlier about your, your parents giving you, or your mother especially, giving you a, a strong sense of self. And you're talking about like your sense of belonging and all of that. And I do get the sense that what's going on now, at least for a lot of young, mostly young men, is they don't have any sense of, belo- this lack of a sense of belonging. And, but they can go online and find some, some ideologically driven group that can tell them, oh, well this is, you belong to this kind this this tribe or, or whatever, you know, and it gives them some sense of who they are. And anyway, that, that's part of, I, I, that's, it seems like that's, Like like I said, racism, I mean, it's a it's an issue that goes back to the fall in a way. I mean, you're talking about like this desire of one individuals and groups to dominate others. It's just a part of our our fallenness. And but I wonder to what degree this kind of particular resurgence today is following up on a kind of really a highly individualistic culture. Mm -hmm. Most people don't can't live as individuals they need to know who they are they you know and i and i I wonder about that myself like how many of these these most like i said mostly young men it seems like don't have a sense of belonging like they don't yeah what their relationship is like to their to church or to their family or to their fathers things like that anyway it's just just an observation um and I actually think you know you had talking before this podcast like what the connection is with religious liberty that's where I think that our that the issues might be kind of related because we're often dealing with this kind of aggressive secularism and which is really reliant on a highly individualistic political vision and that's kind of what we are often dealing with and I, but I think the effect of that is to kind of atomize people and groups and it kind of dissolves groups and dissolves social bonds and I think that feeds into this. Like I said, it's a perennial issue. It's not to say that the, it's like unique to today, uh, as you say, but the recent upsurge, I mean, it's, I think to some people it can be kind of shocking, like yeah. mm-hmm. why, like <laughs> if you see some of those videos from Charlottesville, you're just like, what? Where is this coming yeah. from? Yeah. You know? Yeah. <laughs> like, I mean, yeah. it, it, yeah. it is shocking, but then but then, if you do think about like this problem of isolation of social bonds being dissolved, like people look for some, you know, this imitation, they they come across some alt-right website, right. and I think that so in some ways our there I see our offices as kind of complementary in that way, that like they kind of deal with two social problems that are kind of the flip side of a, of a of a common issue. So it, that's. Just that's part of what I have always thought. Like how our 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 work is they they complement it complements each other. Our our jobs complement each other. Everybody's job complements each other. At the bishops' conference. That's but, right, <laughs> unity. In this particular way, I think that those the social problems of aggressive secularism, and sort of a, this kind of racial tribalism both kind of can relate to each other. So anyway, just uh, my two cents. But I wanted to get to this question you know, to get a little bit more into the substance of of what y'all are doing, I think it's helpful just to start off with what, how we understand racism, Mm -hmm. the term itself, because I think you mentioned people all over the country coming from different places. And so they, you know, some people may think, well, as long as you're not calling people names, there's no problem. But then, but you see, I mean, I've looked in different parts of the country too, and um, racism in parts of New England I've lived in looked very different from the racism I saw in Texas where I grew up.
1: (laughs) And it's also like, and I think too, the awareness, there needs to be a growth in the awareness that it's not just racism. I think can tend to, people think of it as, oh, african-american against the african-american community but i mean there's so many other different communities that are being discriminated against based on color
0: yeah that's a good point because the document talks about some multiple groups so yeah tell us tell us how the how the bishops understand racism sure
2: so i'm just going to quote quote the document which relates that racism arises either consciously or unconsciously when a person holds that his or own race or ethnicity is, is superior And therefore judges people of other races or ethnicity as inferior or unworthy of equal regard and so that sort of conviction which leads people to exclude or ridicule or mistreat others based on their race and ethnicity that's when it becomes a a sinful act and so uh, the bishops call it out in that in that sense, and and so those who are, are practitioners specifically in the field of anti-racism work and studying racism sometimes define it as a, a racial prejudice plus power mm-hmm. sort of paradigm. But I think that the bishops have chosen to adopt a, a broader um, sense of of the definition, and are talking about something that uh, could be interpreted a little bit more widely. In, in different situations which, which again I think is good because uh, we don't want people to be able to say well I'm not calling anybody this that or the other therefore mm-hmm. I'm fine no this is, is, is really a call for people to examine their hearts and their minds even mm-hmm. and to see where their hearts and minds could be translating into actions that could be uh related to to sinful behavior based on a person's race or ethnicity
1: it's so interesting because of course as shepherds they're worried about you know the salvation of souls as well as teaching right and to me it's beautiful because i confess that's the first time that i came across that definition i have not read the document yet but consciously or unconsciously right? right i mean it's really a call to examination of conscience it is and i know that i've done that in my own mind like am i what I've, I've, I never thought of myself as racist, you know, and, and, but I've begun to sort of examine like, well, wait, do I question kind of some of the the assumptions I might make unconsciously, you know, based on how I was brought up or different perspective or experiences have I had. So that's what I love about it. It's really kind of, where can everyone go deeper and sin really? I mean, that's our concern here as, as Catholics, is really, uh, how can I grow in holiness? And part of that is, where am I sinning? Where am I, where am I called to grow? There's a conversion element in there. So I, I think it's a, a, gr- a great definition.
0: I wonder if you can also then tell us just about some of the work that you're doing. What, what has the committee done? What are some of the, the particular actions that y'all are planning? And I also wonder, in, in telling us that, If you might also tell us uh, what it is unique that you think that the church brings to this, because there are lots of activist groups, lots of people who care about this issue, variety of perspectives for working on the issue. We've kind of touched on that a little bit. Uh, What do you think, and we kind of have started to talk about this, but kind of say a little bit more, like what does the church bring to the conversations and debates uh, happening in our country and, and yeah, and what are y'all doing? Like what sure. what are some concrete things y'all are doing?
2: Yeah, so really good, really good questions, thank you. Um, so first, you know, what does the Catholic Church have to bring to this conversation? I think that you can point to any number of secular groups that are doing really good scholarship and really good work just sort of on the, the social level of trying to teach about and bring about, um, and they don't put it in this terms, but essentially a conversion and heart and mind uh, when it comes to to looking at race, what I think my committee, uh, particularly and and my bishop chair and, and and all of his brother bishops on the committee, really want to bring to the fore, is conscience conscience formation. They want our our Catholics in the pews um, to be taught the entire Christian docu- doctrine on the subject of the s- scripture and traditions surrounding the fact that we all have our origin as a people in God, that, that our final common destiny is in the kingdom of God and that we need to to value the, the precept of fraternal love. And we need to understand that there is a total incompatibility between racist exclusivism and the universal calling of all to the same salvation in Jesus Christ. And if you like that, mm-hmm. read the pastoral letter because <laughs> I took that quote directly out of 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 the pastoral letter. Um, so going back to your question, Aaron, I think it's important for people to understand that, you know, anti-racism work and anti-racism conversation is not um, a letter that the left is carrying. you know, and it should not be. I think that that some who speak in in par- partisan terms and and those who work, and partisan um, fields and and those who who closely align themselves with one party or another really unfortunately see racism as a topic that only you know a certain party deals with or a certain side of the aisle deals with and that's not true it's really unfortunate uh, that the conversation has been it's seemingly co-opted by a particular party and that is not Mm -hmm. to demonize that party but it is to say that this is an issue that affects all of us. And so what we as Catholics want to do and what the Bishops' Conference want to do, and, and, and our vision for this initiative is to say that we need to recenter conversation on racism, and we need to realize that it still exists inside and outside of the church, and need to realize also that we have a deep theological tradition you know, and, and in some sense, based on principles that, that, that we've rediscovered through the theology of the body of John Paul II, that can really start to reset our minds and our hearts on what it is to be a human person, because that's really what this is about. It's about what it means to be a human person and realizing that we have to go back to that and really ground ourselves in that so that we don't have a framework for the abrogations that we see being played out on the American stage anymore.
1: Yeah, Danielle, it's interesting you brought that up because on this show, uh, a lot of the this podcast, excuse me, to be more precise, a lot of the issues we talk about, like it's really coming at it from that Catholic perspective right. rather than the right, the left, right. Republican, Democrat, conservative, right. liberal, you know? And to me, that's, I think, the bit, one of the big... Broader, more important messages of this podcast is that we are made in the image and likeness of God, and image is a word that has really a deeper meaning than it's far. It's what it's it's our being. It's not what we look like, you know. And so it's easy to think of that word and what? No, it it's the deeper meaning is that we're made to be in communion with each other and to see every person as God's precious creation, which totally dovetails with the work in my office so you're you're speaking to my heart I love it
2: right ontology people (laughs) it's ontology
1: being being yes
2: for the lesser
0: uh
1: (laughs) (laughs) verbally acute of among us (laughs) well and I think
0: another thing though I like what what y'all both said using the term conscience and examination of conscience and conscience formation it makes me think, you know, one of the thing criticisms I've seen of some anti-racism work that tends to be more secular is that there doesn't sometimes seem to be room for grace. Like it seems like it, it can be, um, it's like if you to be called a racist in the secular world or to admit to having been one or to being one is is sort of like it's like one of the worst things right. you can you, like could, fatal, you could you right? could admit to being, yeah. you know. Yeah. Mm-hmm. But to like read the pastoral and then to as you go before you go to confess your sins as we do in the Catholic Church to think to to try to go through your examination of conscience and ask yourself have I entertained these sorts of thoughts or Whatever it may, you know, whatever you think it may be, like, have I adopted these habits of thought, Mm -hmm. or whatever the particular thing might be to to an individual and their circumstances, and that you can confess those sins and have them absolved, and then try to make a resolution, Mm -hmm. resolve to to stop doing. I mean, that's what that to me is what this is: is open wide your hearts to to be open to conversion, to change, Um, and that does seem to me to be something that. Is on that we offer the possibility of absolution and conversion. That's right. That I think that is just and mercy. I mean, that's. Mm-hmm. I, I don't think I, I can. I, I think that yeah, it can be difficult to change habits of thought mm-hmm. and, and to really like, especially if you if, if you've been brought up in a place or or where I mean, to say I'm not going to use to to use certain words. For some people, I mean, it may really be like you're going to be seen as like I don't know. It's going to put you on the outs in some social circles. Mm. And right. but and this is um, but this is really an opportunity to for conversion, for absolution, for a resolution to to change, and for the for the mercy that we all need. And I really think that that's something that I don't know. I I want to think that that's something people want. You know that they that people deep down do want to Absolutely. to change they want conversion yep. and i hope that that's something we can that we offer in
1: the church yeah and grace the grace you receive in the sacrament to make that you know make that firm resolution and you receive the grace to not commit that sin again so mm-hmm. yeah but also
2: I mean the other thing that's huge and the other thing that I can't stop talking about is well, let's, hear it. let's yeah. hear it let her rip <laughs> 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 is is Jesus you know it, the, the thing is that Amen. none of this is possible without believing in Jesus and none of this is 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 possible without believing in the gospel, which is why I think a lot of the secular movements in this way don't work, um, or they work only up into a point, uh, because we've got groups of people who are saying, you know, it's just go have dinner with somebody, or it's just go make a new friend. And go have dinner please go have dinner please go make an, a friend you know it, the listeners out there like if you don't have black friends or if you don't have Hispanic friends or if you don't have Asian friends go make some go make some it, it, it will enrich your life I promise oh. you um, don't let that be the only motivating factor why do you want to be friends with me because you're going to enrich my life no don't <laughs> don't do that um, but you know there is a lot to be said for, for diverse friendship groups but really what we're talking about, this conversion that we're talking about, means meeting Jesus. And and I just refuse to believe that people have truly met Jesus and let him convert him in all the ways, uh, let him convert them in all the ways that he would want to, that, that they would seriously struggle with strongholds like this. I, I, I think that to be a true christian means that if, if you're not totally converted you are on the road that that you are a recovering fill in the blank mm-hmm. you know that's what we all want to be recovering fill in the blanks because who was the apostle paul um but you know one of the biggest recovering fill in the blanks you'll ever meet who was mary magdalene but a, a recovery you know we are all recoveries in the making and so we have got to begin the process and so you don't have to be perfect. And, and those of you who grew up in places where using certain words to, to re- refer to certain people was the norm, you can be recovering from that. And, and I, I believe wholeheartedly that there are more good people out there in, in every sense of the word, including on, on, on race issues. There are better people out there who believe that we are all created equal that just don't know how to carry it out in their lives and there are ones who don't. And so what it takes is for good Christians to start talking about this, you know, and, and the next point is how do you talk about this with your family and with your friends? Well, it, there's a fear point that we have to get over, you know, and Aaron you alluded to it that people are so afraid of being called a racist, you know, they they almost want to avoid the moniker more than they want to avoid the emotion. And that's a problem you know as long as I don't get called a racist you know that that's fine Uh, no no it's not because the Lord um, knows our thoughts Um, and he knows he knows how we see things and so we've got to do our level best to bring our hearts before the Lord and and let him into those places where where those thoughts and ideas were first formed. And so for me, a lot of times when it comes to conversion in my heart, it means letting the Lord into my heart in those places I am most afraid for him to be.
1: That's awesome, Danielle.
2: And so the letter, like the pastoral letter
1: against racism, wait, what's the title again? Open Wide Our our Hearts, the Enduring Call to Love. So is there going to be, our documents from the bishops' conference tend to be long. So will there be like tools on how to condense it or sure. like are there resources planned for how do people can yes. use the
2: document yes. or So if people go to um, usccb.org slash racism, there are a number of resources uh, for the parish, for the individual, and there are backgrounders on specific areas. Um, So first off, the backgrounders, they just break down a little bit more about what the the pastoral is talking about. Um, So what is systematic racism? Racism in economics, racism in education, racism in employment, housing, criminal justice, the Native American experience, and so on. We also have prayer resources, so if you want to pray with your children and and start teaching them that we are all made in God's image, we have that under our prayer resources. Uh, We've got a scripture reflection. Uh, We've got prayer services if you want to do that, either in your household, in your classroom or um you could even do that on your college campus we've also got k through eight educational resources we've got an activity for just about every age group we've got two for fifth grade Um, we've got uh, high school educational resources and again an activity for college campus communities then over time we'll be promulgating more and more um, resources i'm Working with Catholic Health Association, God willing, to come up with a health disparities and racism document. We have a uh, life issues resource in the works, uh, God willing, as well. And, and so over time, we'll come up with more and more. You know, and, and we really want, particularly teachers, to start paying attention to these items because people of color most of the time are taught in units, and, and they're taught... In, in single periods of time as if you know Native Americans didn't exist after the reservation system was established and African Americans you know didn't really contribute unless they were inside of the civil rights movement or inside of slavery. Mm-hmm. You know, it's important to, to normalize the experiences of people of color uh, for our teachers and so or for our students and, and we really want, uh, that to be something that this committee works on on going forward and and there will be several more resources Encouraging teachers to, to use primary sources within their classrooms such as the letter to uh, from the Birmingham jail Which Martin Luther King so eloquently wrote with zero resources inside of his jail cell so mm-hmm. teaching our kids how to think about race how to think period um, and, and and translate to them the fact that here we had this man who was locked up, had nothing but a sheet of paper and a pencil. and he was able to write one of the most eloquent uh, letters known in, in modern history, quoting um, as Thomas Aquinas and and thought uh, leaders in the Catholic Church such as as he. So, um, lots, lots to do and mm-hmm. lots will be coming, and, and the resources that we have on the website are, are just a start. Wow.
0: Well, I think you must be very busy because we, I said that you were a lead staff. But you're really the only staff, right? I mean, (laughs) you you are the staff. (laughs) I'm
2: I'm the only full-time staff, yes. Education and outreach is is supporting me full-fledged, and education and outreach within the USCCB is an office that's really pledged almost the entire calendar Mm -hmm. year to working on this issue, and I'm collaborating with cultural diversity, obviously. I'm collaborating with y'all, so... Yeah, um,
0: I mean, I think... So yeah, we I think that we do a good job, especially you know we were just an ad hoc committee until right. recently and Religious, it was, Religious, yeah, Religious Liberty. Liberty was mm-hmm. the ad hoc committee. It's a similar sort of thing, like people will see all these resources come out or they'll see the stuff come out. They don't really realize that it's often just one person who's full time mm-hmm. on that issue having you know, collaborating and working with with right. other colleagues. But um but yeah, so we I definitely Fill you on all this, like we <laughs> because we, we're similar, where um, you only have it's just like I mean, I'm the only full time religious liberty person, exactly. so um, so I definitely understand, but I mean, I'm, it's impressive how much that y'all put together. Uh, thank you so much for talking with us. Um, just um, for our listeners, it, it's um, if you didn't catch the website, it's www.usccb.org/slash racism. You can access all of uh, these wonderful materials and especially read the Pastoral Letter on Racism. It's very good, it's helpful, Um, it's grounded in our Catholic faith. And and I think that it's a call that we all need to hear uh, to uh, this call to conversion, um, a call to open our hearts to love. Um, And it's important, especially as Catholics, because the Catholic Church includes people from is it's made up the body you mentioned jesus which is so important in the body of christ the church is made up of people from every nation and i think that it's important that 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 we always remember that when we go to receive communion Amen. you mm-hmm. you when you receive the body of christ you are in communion with people of every race and every nation uh and so that's and we should live like it uh so thank you so much for joining us my pleasure uh, it's been great. Uh, thank you. This is Aaron Matthew Weldon.
1: And I'm Mary McCluskey. Thank you so much for joining us for this episode of the First Freedom Podcast.